May your word, O Lord, be for us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Because we have a long reading today, we're going to uh, just go through it uh, uh, verse by verse as we go. And um, you should have a, a, um, a sermon outline that's got the, the verses in it. Um, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, the second the second letter of John. And um, uh, we are in a series of messages called uh, One Hit Wonders. Uh, some of you remember back in radio days, there, there was this thing called the One Hit Wonder. It was a band that had a hit. Uh, but that was pretty much all that we remember about their catalog, um, that they had that one song in which to communicate whatever it is that we will remember about them. And um, the the idea of the one-hit wonder is, for, for this series, is there are uh, a number of documents in the, the Bible, there are documents in the um, the, the New Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures that that uh, are all that... Uh, that, that, that where the entire message is confined to a single chapter. So whatever it was they had to say, they had to be brief and they had to get it out very quickly. So we looked at one last week from the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of Obadiah, one chapter. And today we're going to look at a letter called Second John, uh, the second letter of John. First uh, John is longer, but Second John is shorter. Next week we're going to look at Third John because he was he was like uh, many children at, at uh, right after Christmas. He was good at short letters. So um, so we're going to see Third uh, John next week, and uh, then we'll wrap it up over the next couple of weeks. There's a total of five in the in the uh, Bible that that are these one chapter uh, books. So um, uh, as we're going to see, the the topic that John is going to talk about is living in love and truth. Living in love and truth, and um, that is uh, that sometimes is hard. Um, you know, we 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 can do either one, maybe, or you know, we, we certainly would affirm both. No one wants to be a liar, and no one wants to be a hater, right? We we want to be we want to be a loving person. We want to be uh, a truthful person. But putting them both together can be di- pretty difficult. Um, you 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 know the saying, "Love is blind," right? What does that mean? That means sometimes love doesn't see things the way that they really are. That that your your uh, your love for somebody uh, blinds you to their their faults and their failings. So uh, it's just the nature of, of, of being in love that you tend to minimize or, or, or not pay attention to things that other people see more clearly. And sometimes love leads us to uh, inconvenient questions. Uh, some of us have had the problem of, of uh, a spouse saying, does this dress make me look pretty or uh, does it make me look fat or things like that. And we know that the correct answer for questions like that is, do these glasses make me look stupid? <laughs> Because there's only one correct answer. Of course it does. You look beautiful. Or, no, it's very slimming. So those are the sorts of things we say. Uh, because sometimes love requires us to, to not be as truthful as maybe we might want to be. And in the same way, truth can be un- unloving too. Um, I, I have a, uh, I, I don't know, how many of you have done the 23andMe thing, the, the genetic profiling? So, so one of the things about that is that it's got a whole bunch of things. Are you, are you at risk for, uh, her- Hereditary diseases, heritable diseases. And, uh, you say, well, you know, I could like, kind of like to know that. But then it says, but do you really want to know that? And you have to check yes about eight times before they'll actually show you whether you are, uh, at risk of, of getting this, this disease or not. Because, because sometimes the truth doesn't land on us as a very loving thing to know. I mean, you know, on the one hand, yes, I'd like to know if I've got that disease or if I'm going to pass that to my children. But on the other hand, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, it's best not to know. And they, they, they realize that, and so they've designed their system um, along those lines. And I think this is a thing where Christians in particular struggle uh, 
because because we are uh, supposed to be all about truth and we're supposed to be all about love. But sometimes we don't do it as well as we should. The last town I lived in, uh, I used to see this vehicle driving around the the, the town and um, sometimes in parades. And uh, so there's the there's the the words on the side. You can see repent, stop breaking the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, be saved from hell. Jesus hates sin. Warning to heathens, drunkards, uh, atheists, liars, homosexuals, um, and and you know, putting aside whether that is even true, right? We can just bracket that conversation and say, even if that is true, is it loving? Is it loving? And I would ask the same thing. This is a picture taken um, this year at the parade, uh, Pride uh, Parade down, downtown just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's kind of hard to see because it's backlit, but it says, Like Sodom, you parade sin. Woe to you who bring, um, who bring upon yourselves, who bring evil upon yourselves from Isaiah. So uh, the, the person there is, is protesting the, the Pride Parade. And again, putting aside, you know, we could have that conversation. In fact, we should have that conversation about what does the Bible teach us about sexuality. But there's a separate question, even if it were true, let's let's assume for the moment that it is true, then is that the loving way to do it? When I go to the doctor, I don't want the doctor to, to tell me falsehoods, you know, oh, you're fine. But on the other hand, Doctors are expected to have a bedside manner. You know, they're not supposed to just dump it on you and say, yep, you're dying. You know, we, <laughs> we want a doctor who can show some sensitivity and some tact. So, so is this a loving thing? Is this a loving way to be a Christian? So I think Christians struggle to walk in love and truth. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The good news, however, is we're not the first Christians to struggle with that problem. That this problem goes all the way back to the first century. So we're going to look at a letter from John. So again, uh, the letter is in in the um, it's there's a it's a very busy handout. I understand that, but um, we're going to be looking at the letter which is included in there. So it begins this way. It says, uh, "This letter is from John, uh, the elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth." So this is this is the way letters were written in the first century. You wrote the from, and then you wrote the to, um, and uh, so it's from John the elder. Uh, Early tradition in the church going way, way back says that the John the Elder was actually John the son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' disciples and an apostle. Uh, he doesn't identify himself that way. He just says he's John the Elder. So so it, I don't know if it really matters. He's somebody who has some authority in the church and he's writing a letter. And who is he writing it to? It says the chosen lady and her children. Well, that's probably not a woman. It's probably actually a church. In in the first century, it was common to refer to churches um, as women. In fact, um, uh, some of you remember uh, we talked once before about uh, uh, St. Cyprian said that it is impossible to have God the Father unless you have the church as your mother. That that the idea is the church is the 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 cuddly warm side of of what God has provided for us. So um, so uh, he's writing to the chosen lady and her children. The children are the members of the congregation. So he's writing to another church, and uh, then he begins talking about. His topic in the first century, you would you would include kind of a little table of contents. You wouldn't like have a subject line, you know. It's you know re this, but that's kind of what they did. Is they kind of said, "I'm going to write you about that." So then, uh, watch what watch what he does. He says, um, "Whom I love in the truth, as does everybody else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever." But he's not done. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father will continue to be with us, with us who live in 
truth, and love. So, you know, you could start circling all the loves and truths. He's really kind of making it pretty clear. What are you talking about, John? I'm going to be talking about truth and love. And he goes on, grace, mercy, and peace. I think I duplicated that. So, how happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. So, what are you talking about? I'm talking about truth and I'm talking about love and how to to do both together. Not have to sacrifice one for the for the sake of the other. And if you do, what is what is the what is the test? How do you know where you can where you can decide in favor of one or the other? So, uh, just to get some terms laid out, just so we know we're talking about the same thing. Um, as I mentioned to the children, love is to will the best for another person. When when I'm talking about love, uh, you know, love is a very big word, and poets and songwriters have tried to figure it out. But for the purposes of this conversation, we'll say love is when you will the best for another person. So we'll come back to that. Truth is what describes reality. So uh, if it's if um, if uh, if this dress really does uh, slim me, then then that's reality, and you can say truthfully that it does. And otherwise, you have to say untruthfully that it does, but you still have to say that. So, um, so um, uh, so he begins. Now now we're, we're we've got kind of past the intro to the letter, and now he's going to begin the actual letter. He says, "I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning." Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you have heard from the beginning. So he says, this is not news. The, you know, If you have been a Christian for more than about three minutes, you've heard that we're all about the love here. And he says, by the way, it, this is a commandment. This is not uh, a feeling you're supposed to somehow generate, you know, just kind of, you know, scrunch up, you know, real hard and somehow manufacture a feeling of love. Uh, this is, This is, you know, how you feel really... Is, is not significant for the purpose of obeying the commandment. So, uh, our first point, love is more than a feeling. So if you, uh, if you're into classic rock, that should be an easy one to remember. Love is more than a feeling. Um, it is also more than a suggestion. It is a, an actual commandment. So, uh, this is something that Jesus said. And of course, we see that. We heard earlier, earlier in the, um, gathering, we heard, uh, uh Larissa mentioned the great, uh, commandment that Jesus gave to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself so so we know that uh, Jesus uh, uh, on the night of his of, of his arrest he uh, washed his disciples feet and then he said I'm giving you a new commandment love each other just as I have loved you you should also love each other your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples Jesus says this is the hallmark that people will use to decide are you a Christian or not are you actually a follower of Jesus? The answer is not whether you go to church, whether you read the Bible, whether you pray, uh, whether you even give to your church, believe it or not, but whether or not you love other people. So Jesus says that is the hallmark that says whether or not you're a disciple. Paul says not only that, it is of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, it is the greatest, that, that every other virtue will fade away. In, 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 the, in the age to come, uh, we won't need to be virtuous because, because there won't be... Um, uh, occasions for temptation. So the only virtues that will uh, pass into the, the age to come are faith, hope, and love. And he says, of those three, the greatest is love. So so Christians are all about love. So he's saying, this is not news to you. So he says, we have to do that. So uh, love is more than a feeling. It is, it is the essence of what Jesus says it is to be a disciple. Uh, it is the hallmark of our faith. So he says, I say this, 
because many deceivers have gone out of the world. So the deceivers are presumably telling people they don't have to love. But that's not what he says. He says, they deny Jesus Christ came in a real body. We're going to come back to that, but let's talk about the deceivers for a minute. He says, such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have, that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in this teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. So we're going to come back to the the nature of this test that he provides. But before we do, we have to talk about what he's saying about truth. He says truth is from God. He says that God will not lie, that that God is not duplicitous, that God won't tell you one thing and then do another thing, that God is utterly trustworthy. So uh, the second point, all truth is from God. Paul says uh, in the in the letter to the Romans, he says that uh, since the creation of the world, everything that can can be seen, um, the 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 God's invisible qualities are revealed in the things that can be seen. That that you don't have to subscribe to the Christian books, right? You don't have to get out your Bible and start thumping it. He says that what you see just looking at the world is an accurate depiction of God. He says that um, that God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He says he says that we don't understand God completely without the scriptures. But what we understand without the scriptures is authentic and true, that that comes from God. And this is why there are so many Christian scientists. I know it's easy to believe if you listen to, you know, a, a Sam Harris podcast or somebody like that, Richard Dennett, somebody like that, uh, Daniel Dennett, that, that there are no Christians who are scientists, but, but Wikipedia disagrees with you. So I, I encourage you, go look at the Wikipedia list of Christians in science and technology. It goes on and on and on. On and on. So I was surprised to, to read some of them. So a lot of famous people and some not so famous. So, so, uh, you can follow truth wherever it leads without any fear of it challenging your faith. Truth will never lead you astray as a Christian. So that's the first point. But then there are some other points as well. Uh, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, we learn that God is not human so that he might lie. So, so God doesn't lie because he's not human. Now, say what you will about that, this person's, uh, uh anthropology, what he thinks about people. But but he says, because God is not a human, he's not tempted to lie. It just never comes up to him. So, And, of course, Jesus famously said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says he is truth. So God is not going to lie. So um, now... If people are denying things, if they are, if they are denying the faith, if they're denying the faith, they're denying Christ and vice versa. So, because truth is of God. So, he says, um, he says, what do we do with these deniers? He says, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give them any kind of encouragement. Now that may not sound very loving. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. So, He's so so he's kind of presented this. He says he began the letter saying you have to be loving. Everybody knows if you're a Christian, you have to be loving. But he said he said there are some people because of the nature of what they're doing who you must not have fellowship with because you become a partner in their evil work. And then he wraps it up. So I'll I'll continue in a minute. But um, so we'll come back to that. But I want to wrap up the letter. He says I have much more to say to you. But I don't want to do it with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you, hope face to face. 
and then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. So, so uh, that the the members of my congregation are sending greetings to your congregation. So, the greetings of your sister. So, um, what is what is the third point? The third point is this: He told us, He told us flatly, don't have fellowship with people, right? So, what is he what is he getting at? He's saying this. He's saying we should love non-believers unconditionally, but use discernment about Christians. And this is something Christians routinely get wrong. We we do it exactly backwards. We say, if you're part of our inside group, then I will love you, or I'll at least try to love you. But if you're an outsider, then you know it's on you. You know it's your problem. And the 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 witness of Scripture, the teaching of our faith, is exactly the opposite. That we love the people who are outside the church unconditionally. We don't put any expectations on them to behave like Christians. It's only Christians, people who care, bear the name of Christ, that we say that there are, that there are teachings that you have to subscribe to to be a Christian. So, um, we see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, Jesus says in Luke, he says, love your enemies. That's pretty broad. So not just non, non-believers, but your worst non-believers, the very worst kinds, the ones who are person, you know, and remember this, this was, this, these, these, uh, gospels were copied by people who were, who were facing persecution. We cannot imagine. He said, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid, then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you'll be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So, he says, this is godly, to love people who don't love you, people who are actually your enemies. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, I love the way the message puts it. He says, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? <laughs> Anybody can do that. He says, of course, we have to love the people who are not lovable. So, if somebody is not a believer, if somebody is outside the church, if they are the worst person you can imagine, Nero, the way he persecuted the first century church... Love them. Wish the best for them. Will the best for them. And then what about, what about, uh, Christians? Paul says in first, uh, um, first Corinthians, he says this, why should I judge outsiders? Aren't we supposed to judge only church members? God judges everyone else. The scriptures say, chase away any of your own people who are evil. And this is something Christians have gotten wrong for, for centuries, routinely. Um, not always, but routinely. We get this wrong, where we say, I'm going to excommunicate you, as if that means I'm going to punish you. Excommunication is not meant to be punishment. It's meant to say, I need to clear my head, because you're teaching things that are not Christian. And as long as you call yourself a Christian, I cannot love you, because you're just messing with my head. But once I say, oh, that person's not a Christian... Then my head clears and I know exactly the way I should relate to you. So Paul's saying, I don't judge people who are outsiders. I only judge people who are inside. He said, God will take care of the others. He says, by excommunicating you, I'm actually making my job simpler. All I have to do then is love you. So he's saying that we use discernment. We use discernment not on people out in the world. We use discernment only on people who are in the church because they're the only ones who can threaten us with false teaching. So. What is the nature of this teaching? I said I would come back to it. So what is the big deal? He's talking about uh, truth. He's talking about love. What is it about Christ coming in a body? He said to us, he said to us back, um, he said, uh, way back in uh, verse uh, uh, 7, he said, he said, these deceivers that have gone out into the world, they deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. And we might say, okay, sure, you know, I, I get that. You know, we celebrate it every Christmas. I, I understand that's important, but... But is this really the litmus test? Is this the thing that, that everything hangs on? 
you know, out of all the false teachings people could have come up with, he mentions this one. So, so what is the connection? Well, the answer is that Christ's incarnation shows that our bodies matter. And uh, let me let me unpack that a little bit. Back in the first century, there was the beginning of what would later become called the, the heresy of Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is the idea that that the world is kind of icky, that matter is is really icky, and it really doesn't matter. That that whatever happens here is not important. What matters is this pure spiritual essence. That that someday we will transcend this this material world. We will become we will become pure spiritual beings. And then everything will be wonderful. But the nature of, of the, the material world, it just drags us down. It makes us, it makes us behave badly. And that's not Christian thinking. That is, that is non-Christian thinking. He's saying the fact that Jesus came and entered into flesh is very significant. It tells us that matter matters, that bodies matter. And so, for example, the Apostle James says this, If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? See, if you say, look, this person is starving, they're going to die soon. Actually, it's probably better that they die sooner, because then they'll be up in the spiritual realm, and everything will be wonderful for them. James says that's preposterous. He says that is utterly unchristian. He says you cannot simply say, Peace, be well, and let them die. He says, you have to intervene. You have to act like a Christian. And of course, Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, what does the Good Samaritan do? He could have walked by and said, peace be well. But instead, what does he do? He uh, sees where the man was. He takes pity on him. He goes to him and bandages his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to him in and took care of him because bodies matter. It's not enough to simply say your spirit's taken care of and, you know, we're all going to die eventually. And if you die because you're beat up and lying on the side of the road, that's just too bad. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That bodies matter. And that's why Paul says when he's talking about uh, sexuality, he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now remember, Paul, just in the previous chapter, has said he is writing to church people here. So what they do in the pride parade is a whole separate issue. That if they're not, if they're not subscribing to Christianity, then that's not your problem. That's their problem. That the only people you have to worry about ultimately is you when it comes to your body, because you're not the Holy Spirit. He says you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so, why don't you pay attention to your own Holy Spirit and quit trying to be somebody else's Holy Spirit? Because if they're Christian, they have the Holy Spirit living in their body, and if they aren't, then you love them unconditionally. So he says it's very simple, that you are not the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit living in them. And in the meantime, you pay attention to the Holy Spirit in your own body. Now, does that mean you mind your own business? No, because we're called over and over again to support one another. So I will tell you the best way I know to reconcile these two things. It's this. That if you can sit down next to the person and say, I have that struggle too, then go right ahead. But if you can't include me too somewhere in the sentence, let it go. Because what it's going to come across is judgment. And it will honestly be judgment. If I look at you and I say, the problem with you is X, and you need to get that X taken care of, then that's going to be judgmental. But if I sit down next to you and say, I struggle with X too, and Here's the success I've been having, and this is the way that God's been at work in my life, helping me with the X. 
then in that case, you're actually helping the other person. So, he says, bodies matter. And I'm going to wrap it up this way. So, as we, as we remember, the idea is to, is to have nothing to do with the people who bring bad teaching. And the lesson here is avoid bad teaching, not bad people. And I have to put a little asterisk there. You know where your weaknesses are. There may be there are people who would actually uh, take you into a bad place. That, that because of your weakness, you say, you know what, I can't do that thing. I, I know we used to do that together, but we're not going to do that. You know, uh, She calls up and says, let's do this thing, or let's get together for drinks, or whatever it is. You, you know what your weaknesses are. And so, depending on your weaknesses, it may be you actually need to avoid people. But that's not what John is talking about in this letter. In this letter, what John is saying is avoid bad teaching, not bad people. Because we know Jesus didn't avoid bad people. He told us, in fact, not to judge so that we wouldn't be judged. He said, if if we're going to avoid bad people, let's start with you. That's I mean, that's the position Jesus is in. He could do that, and he never did. And in fact, we see all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching him to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him. Think about that. Bad people liked Jesus. And it is a stain on the church that bad people don't like the church. Bad people should like the church every bit as much as they like Jesus. So we're not called to avoid bad people. We're called to avoid bad teaching. So how do we put this all together? Well, We love people unconditionally unless and except they are giving bad teaching in the name of a Christian. In which case, if they give teaching that denies the significance of Christ's bodily incarnation, then in that case, avoid those teachers. And that's how we live in truth and love. Not saying it's easy, but hopefully as a result of reading John's letter, it's more clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, you, you know better than we know how poorly we, uh, live in truth and love. You know the, the white lies we tell and you know the black lies. You know the, the, the ways we are hurting when truth is told. And so Lord, we ask you to help us to live, um, to live as John calls that first century church to live, to live in truth and love, to hold them together, to love people unconditionally, and only to reject bad teaching. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.